everyone, and welcome to the Dirt Buzz. This week's guest is someone I've known for a long time, but up until a few years ago, never had the opportunity to work with. Dan Riley is a Minnesota-based designer and founder of Gun Design, who specializes in product design, motorcycle customization, advertisement design, and helmet customization. Dan was recently hired by Polaris as a color and graphics designer, where as he describes it, he gets to put the icing on the cake for new Polaris models. Dan Riley, welcome to the Dirt Buzz. What the heck have you been up to lately? It's been a while. Seems like we haven't talked for, wow, shit, it's probably been six months, right? At least that. There was snow on the ground. I know the last time I was talking to you. <laughs> yeah, well, at least especially in uh, in Minnesota, where you're at, um, here in Idaho, at the moment, we're currently on, well, we're not on fire, but man, we've just been on this streak where I know before we hopped on, you're like, man, I'm just enjoying this weather. And we're like in this triple digit streak where I'm pretty sure the, yeah, the whole month of, of July, I'm pretty sure is probably going to be, I'm pretty sure every day is going to be above 95 for the whole month. I mean, it's just nuts. (laughs) Yeah. And Boise is like kind of like not desert, but it's like high grass plain, right? Or something like that. Like it's, you're just, it's the sun beating down on you and not a lot of places to hide in the shade. Yeah. So what, so what have you been up to? So I understand, like I saw where you took a position with Polaris and I was like, man, good for you. Like, it seems like, you know, you've been a freelancer for probably what, four or five years. And, and of course you've, you've always done stuff on the side, like with your, you know, your, your, um, clothing company that you had. And so, yeah, tell how, tell us how how this how this happened for you. Were you kind of actively looking, or just one of those you know happenstance moments where the the planets aligned? Yeah, basically. So I was actually an independent contractor for about six years, and I was making you know um, doing like design, marketing work, and stuff for like OEMs, brands, um, uh, primarily, and then you know, the, the cascading list down of uh, everything from an OEM to like a medium sized uh, company. And I was actually doing uh, a lot of contract work with uh, Polaris kind of in the midst of like COVID. And then a couple months into it, they had just offered me like a full-time position. Basically it was like I was deputized with a gun and a badge. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> They're like, hey, we like what you're doing and uh, think you're a great addition to the team. So, you know, put a ring on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like you, it seems like, I mean, I don't know exactly what what your role is. I think it's, I mean, it's a big, long title from what I saw. But um, something about colors, materials, finishes, and graphics lab. I'm like, wow, that's a that's a mouthful. But is it something to do with like the the, the aesthetics of how the vehicle looks at the you know, at the end of the road or how, how, t- tell me a little bit about that. Cause it's a pretty interesting title. Yeah. So basically you could almost take colors, materials, finishes and graphics, which is CMFG and basically equal sign BNG for bold new graphics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that. That's a great way to describe it. <laughs> um, so there's that, that's like surface level, um, getting a, like a layer below that to describe it. It'd be like, you know, once the product has been finished, it, it gets wheeled over to our department for basically the icing on a cake. So we kind of, uh, develop the paint color or the plastic color 
And then, of course, the graphics that go on top of that. And then breaking it down a level further is like all the little shit you don't even think about. Like if you're sitting in like a Polaris machine, all the badges, um, the knobs, the seats that you're sitting in, like all the every texture that's on it, that's part of like the interior or exterior, not necessarily like the engine or anything. Um, actually, it does include the engine, but um, pretty much anything that has like a surface treatment to it, like we handle it. Like our team of like five people. That's so cool. Like, I mean, I mean, I, I think I knew that something like, you know, like an, a department like that existed, but I never really understood like the, the workings of it. And that's really cool that like all, everything that's touched in the vehicle, you guys have a part in designing, like whether it's a steering wheel, like the shifter knob, you know, whatever it is, like if it's a UTV or, I mean, that's pretty, that's gotta be pretty fun. Yeah, it really is. And the cool thing is, is like, there's a lot of guys that have been there for a while. And then there's actually quite a few new hires. Like they pulled people in from like, other OEMs and like from like out of state, like California and stuff. And so to like basically glean that type of like rock star knowledge on a day to day basis is like only beneficial, you know. Like there's guys that specialize in just like seat material, you know. So to um to dive deep into each one of those topics with like presumably the best in their field, like that's that part's pretty cool. What's unique about you though, I think from you know having worked with you we got we got to work together you know a couple of years ago when i was at at tucker power sports still when we built the uh you know we we commissioned that bike through you that we call it the tucker techno tracker and i was just impressed with like i mean you pretty much do everything from start to finish like you you know basically did like a concept or an illustration of the bike and then i mean you're you're like fabricating stuff and made your own graphics and so I just thought that was really cool that you're like that hands-on um, with the design process. So, so how did you, you know, come about, you know, come, getting into the design world? Is that something you went to school for, or um, you just always knew you wanted to do, or you know, tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, just something that I always knew that I wanted to do. You know, growing up around motorcycles, um, you know, my first like I got asked in like a. I did a bike show like at Sturgis and they were like, they had a questionnaire and it was like, how did you start? Like, what was your first custom or whatever? And I was like, you know, it was really in like when I was like eight years old, I took my Z 50, which was, you know, looking back, like not, maybe not the right choice. Cause it was a totally original, like mint, like 1969 Z 50. But I like used hand paint, like little testers model hand paint with like a little tiny model brush. And I painted the entire gas tank with it. <laughs> And then I put like a Honda decal over that off of like a more, you know, like they were just in the garage. So I like, but I customized it because I didn't like how it looked. So it was from that moment on. And then, you know, growing up looking at magazines and catalogs, just being like, I want to do that. You know, I want to like, I just want to figure it out. I don't know how they do it, but I just want to like figure out how they do that. I think it's cool. And like, so people like you at a young age, you just, you just know, like you just have, you're drawn to that. It's almost like, you know, it's, it's something that's, you know, you're born with, you know, and then once you sort of find that, you know, niche of, of what you're good at, you just go with it. But a lot of people don't figure that out when they're young, like you, like you did. And so it's gotta be pretty cool to have something like that. You started at such a young age and, and now here you are, you know, all these years later and, you're still doing it and working for a, a huge company like Polaris. So, yeah. And my advice, if there's any like younger listeners is to really like listen to what you want to do and not like 
grownups, you know, because they're always telling you to like do something. And I probably wasted probably about four years, five years chasing like not um, what I really wanted to do. Um, I jumped around to a lot of different colleges. I ultimately went to school down in Texas with some other moto guys from Minnesota. We all kind of, um, you know, went to school down there and rode three palms and stuff all the time. Um, but I just got a real, just a basic degree in marketing. And cause I just figured it was like, I don't know. I mean, that's what people do, you know, but, um, had I went to like art center in LA or like really just, I think, I feel like I'd be a little bit further ahead, but, um, I don't really know where I'm going on that tangent, but I think the moral of the story is like I followed my passions and there was like a, like a break in time where I just sort of like did what I thought like everyone else wanted me to do and then kind of jumped back into it. Like I mean, actually immediately after graduating college, getting right back into design and basically being a commissioned graphic designer from day one, ironically with no degree in graphic design, but only a degree in business. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I was just like, wow. I mean, that just shows you that you obviously have natural talent and you pick it up quickly because, yeah, I mean, again, all the stuff I've, I witnessed you do, you know, like even creating the graphics for that techno tracker and just, you I mean, all that stuff. And, and granted, I, I noticed that you did work for like a graphics comp- company at one point and you've done some other things like that, but still, like, you know, it's not stuff you just normally pick up really quickly unless you have some artistic talent. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, for sure. And just sort of like the will, like the wantingness of like to make it perfect, you know? Yeah. So that's cool. So you guys, I, I didn't realize. So like a group of you from Minnesota went down to, is that Sam Houston? Is that where the college you went yeah, to? Yeah, Sam like Houston. That? Yep. I went to University of Houston first, which is like downtown. And we all like live downtown. And it was just like a fucking mess, like in the, uh, <laughs> You know, it's basically L.A. in Texas. It's, like, just a little bit smaller than L.A. And it's a lot more spread out, so it's not that bad. But, like, I spent most of my life in traffic down there. And so uh, we were all just kind of, like, you know, basically kicked it about an hour north, which was uh, Sam Houston State University. And it was, like, way better. Same length of a drive to Three Palms, but, like, it was on, like, the outskirts of town. And it was basically a college town. So... So then once you graduated, you're like, we're, I'm out of there. Right. And you went back to Minnesota and <laughs> yeah, pretty much, you know? And, uh, it was like, I graduated in 08. So that was like, I remember like finishing up some credits, like in my summer course and the professor comes in and was like, Goldman Sachs just tanked or something like that. And I'm like, who cares? But then it was like the quote unquote recession of like 2008 that I basically graduated into. So it's kind of an interesting time to be alive, you know, or to have yeah. like, be stepping into like my professional role um with that so kind of kind of different yeah i mean i'm sure that was that was definitely a difficult time probably to to find, you know to graduate and and f- try and find a job and then even more so probably in power sports at that time like that post 2008 you know recession yeah. period to where so you come back and you worked at i think you did a couple a couple of industry jobs one non you did some kind of like auto auto place and then uh black diamond graphics and caliber and so you're you're kind of just cutting your teeth there and just and then what in 2015 you you uh decided to go it on your own with the gun design huh yeah pretty much i kicked it off with a trip to the uh the one moto show and then we drove down to la 
and then back up through Colorado. I actually met up with like Campo and stuff on the way back through, but um, that was sort of like my vision quest tour, you know, and uh, just never really looked back, just pinned it and, um, you know, had some solid clients and just sort of wanted that, that independent life. So it was pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it's it. What's interesting to me is like I'm the opposite direct, so I'm just starting on this freelance thing. Started last September, and then so you've done it. You did it like what five, six years, and then now you're the opposite direction. So are you still doing yeah. stuff on the side? Or are you full time with with Polaris? You know, I'm full time. I'm not taking on like new work, but I actually did like race, like a race tech suspension, for instance, has been like one of my oldest clients. And so, like when Chris needs something done, like I pretty much. I'll just do it. So they're kind of one that I'll always do artwork for. I just did like their Loretta's uh, full page ad for Racer X. Um, but outside of that, like the nice thing about sort of having being part of like a bigger team is to be able to like really enjoy my downtime and just like work on my own projects and try to like progress like artistically and just have fun and ride and like just enjoy myself. And so that's kind of what I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm doing gun design quote with air quotes, but it's just like, I'm just scratching my own itch all the time now. So it's pretty good. Yeah. It's kind of like a creative outlet. If you want to do something like on your own, right. Without uh, pretty much yeah. having to be checked, you know? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if I want to be creative, I don't have to worry about if like the client will like it. Or like if, you know, this is going to eventually, you know, if this is like something I can monetize in some way, shape or form, it's like purely, it can just be purely fun. It's got to be tough though, after working, you know, on your own for, for that long to, to go back and do it because like I'm struggling the opposite way, just getting used to, you know, not having consistent work and, you know, the feast or famine thing that people have told me. And it's so true, you know, like I'm either like too busy or wondering what you know how i'm going to pay the bills next and so it's it's definitely interesting like i miss the consistent paycheck you know every couple of weeks but i also love the freedom of doing the freelance thing so yeah i'm just kind of curious to know how you're how it's been for you yeah it's almost like like yin and yang right because you got like the like the, the um you know the the tons and not enough like with like being independent and then you just have like it's so consistent that you're almost um you know i don't want to use the term bored to tears but you're like you're all like like i was saying earlier about being able to totally like cut loose and be super creative in my off time like that part of it like makes it worth it um but who knows you know maybe the pendulum's gonna swing the other way so um and it is kind of that because as the pendulum was way one way for a while and now it's just totally the other way. And I just embrace it on both sides. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, times for sure. You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like, I mean, even like going to work for you at Polaris, I'm sure it's different than the way it was before, you know, like as far as, you know, for people that had worked there, you know, pre COVID, I'm sure the office environment's different. And so. Well, yeah. I mean, like, like there's like just our team and, and the executive team and that's it. There's the whole like bridge and then the middle we're all like, cause there's normally several hundred employees in that building and now there's like 20 or oh, wow. maybe, maybe 30. So they still haven't really fully called everybody back to work then it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's pretty much remote. So 
Yeah, pretty nuts. I mean, there's definitely companies starting to do it. You know, I know like when I when I was at WPS, like I still know people there and like I think they went back to work shoot like midway through last year. Like <laughs> they're just like wow. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, we're just gonna do it. <laughs> Man. So what do you got coming you got- up? You going uh you going to Sturgis this year or are you gonna make the trip over again? Oh yeah, I'm going to Sturgis hundred percent. We always camp out in uh Box Elder which is uh, just outside. I shouldn't even give away our secret location, but we have a super rad uh, camping spot out up in the hills. Uh, some great single track riding and basically the the soup du jour of, of Sturgis for us is uh, trail riding all day and then uh, ride the 20 mile windy road into town at night just to uh, spectate and then rip back in, at midnight on the same windy road. Yeah, some amazing riding there for sure. I got to go a couple of years ago with, you know, with Campo and couple of the other guys from from tucker and rode up from denver and man i was just like you know like the town of sturgis i you know i could take her to leave that but it's just the riding around there like if i would like to go back again when it's you know an off off part of the season and not sturgis because it was that good you know the roads are yeah. good and they're just windy and twisty and scenic and so yeah definitely some bitching riding up there yeah it's like there are mountains but they're the highest peak is like six thousand feet so they're very like just scenic mountains like there is no like granite peaks they're all it's all wooded so um yeah it's just gorgeous out there it's probably one of my favorite places on the map in the united states for sure you know that's taking into consideration all the other awesome places but um black hills for some reason are one of my favorites yeah i like the i like the fact that you i feel like from if you're in one central location, you know, somewhere in that Black Hills area, you can ride in so many directions. You know, there's tons of options, you know, like one thing about Boise where I live here, I feel like you don't really have, you're pretty limited on the, on the options of, of where you can ride. Like you have these, like the, the six hour loop or the three hour loop, and there's really not mm-hmm. much in between, you know? And so like being able to have multiple options and like smaller back roads that you could hit. Yeah, definitely a good time up there. Well, it's like geographically, like it's an island of like mountains and trees. So like everything is so packed together, but it's still far enough apart where you feel like you're getting lost. But there's like everything is, yeah, just closer. So you can like ride to that old mining town. You can like head over to Sturgis or you can rip down the freeway and start it all over again, you know? So definitely. So do you get to go at all um, in any capacity for Polaris this year, or is it just still all on your own? Um, it'll be half and half. I know a bunch of the design guys are, are heading out there. They pretty much, um, it's like an annual thing. So I'll definitely jump on that. Um, so I'll have like dual dual programs going on. Any other bike shows or anything? Well, once I guess once they start firing up again, but. Um, uh, you know, I heard that Circuit of the Americas is going on again in, uh, what is it, like September 3rd, October 3rd, September 3rd. Oh. So I would assume Handbuilt comes with that. I would I'd definitely hit up Handbuilt, you know. Yeah, you've done a lot of those. So then I think, did you go to the last last year's one show? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I was looking at the poster. I'm like, you know, it's funny. The one motorcycle show, like I've, I've never been able to get used to that title of a show. It's just like doesn't really roll off the tongue, but I'm like, they sort of called it because last year their show was the one and only show of the year. So <laughs> it was like, yeah. man, if that wasn't like prophetic or what, you know, like they just they just fucking shot called that, you know. Yeah, I don't know what that one was like, but I know the year before that's so when you took the, you know, the 
I think it was a year before, like you took the, the Tucker techno tracker there and man, it just seemed like it was huge. Like the, they had, they really just like from the year before just ratcheted up, like with made it more of like a festival environment and, you know, ax throwing yeah. and, you know, like all kinds of cool, fun stuff and on top of the show. So it seemed like a, a pretty darn cool event. So hopefully yeah, that they whole had thing it. just starts kicking off again. I know. Cause I, I just went to one locally, um, like cafe races on Instagram. It's like a bigger account. They're based out of Minneapolis. So they have like this, they started up like this new, like vintage motorcycle night at a, at a brewery in Minneapolis. And so, um, I hit that up and it was just like, a breath of fresh air like oh thank you like i haven't been to like a culture show in like forever so it was just it was great man yeah I, right this weekend actually going on i think it's actually starting today is that ims outdoors in uh sonoma northern california yeah i saw that yeah really cool concept and i've, I've been following you know a few people have been posting you know like um videos just showing everybody setting up and man it's i mean there's a ton of like pretty much every oems there demo and bikes um yeah people can go on demo rides there's stasic there there's strider i mean really really cool i i think it was a great thing to happen because these indoor ones you know i mean it's just a bunch of tire kicking compared to being actually being able to sit on the bikes and then i heard there there are some of the bikes are actually putting different mapping in them so they they don't they don't go over like 10 miles an hour so like a, a true beginner can get on the bike and ride them for the first time and i'm like that's some cool stuff yeah way more interactive yeah i mean it, it just it kind of makes me think i'm like i don't know why that didn't wasn't the case from the to begin with because that is our industry like where it's interactive you know so to be in some stodgy you know like stadium or something or arena it just doesn't even or convention center just doesn't even seem to make sense to me but it's cool to see yeah it. the awesome thing is for the indoor ones like the ims show here always falls on my birthday weekend so i just like I turned 21 at the IMS show, like way back in the day, and I worked at a shop, so that was a pretty fucking fun weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so I always think of the IMS show, like when it comes through Minnesota, of like of that. So, <laughs> oh man. So do you have a? Uh, I mean, you've you've built a lot of bikes. I know through the years, probably I don't know how exactly how many, but I I imagine you have a couple of favorites that stand out. I have definitely a favorite that, well, two favorites, but um, I'm curious to know which ones uh, are your favorite ones you built. That's a great question. Um, somebody was asking me too, like, you know, how many bikes like I have like currently, but then I'm like, the bigger picture is how many have I had in my life? And I literally lost count, but it's got to be in the multiple hundreds. And every single one of them was like changed in some way. So you could, feasibly say that they're all quote-unquote builds um especially like in college dude i'd pick up like 600 cc crotch rockets like slot cbr 600s all day long and like flip them you know like during the week for cash so like but i'd always leave like a little i, I basically like in the process of like fixing it up i would basically customize it like oh the mirrors are busted off so i'll just get like new ones you know or the body works fucked up so i'll paint it you know um but my favorite ones, man, I don't even know. I, I think like the one that's popped into my mind that's like maybe not like like a favorite build like of the modern age of my life, but I had an XR75 when I was in like fourth grade and it was totally mint, totally original. And um, 
it, you know, the, it was in 1976. So it had black number plates on the side and I wanted them to match the front. So I painted them white and I put like number ones on all the plates and stuff. But that was like my first clutch dirt bike. And, um, I don't know that one always, and it was the factory color was Tahitian red. So it basically looked like a four stroke Honda Elsinore. And, uh, that was probably one of my favorites. It's funny. Cause I mean, looking at some of your, in your social posts, I didn't go back that far, but like, I love the, the dirt bike you did for the, I think it's the go fast. Don't die guys. Mm-hmm. That you did. And then the, the R- that was like, another one that popped out in my head. Yeah. And the R9T, like, I think that's my, probably my absolute favorite. And I don't know if it's just that bike to begin with as the base, but like, man, I think this looks so trick that the tracker, like the, the flat tracker you made. And I think you even like, and I'd love to hear this story, but I think you even went over to Germany or something for some kind of design contest that you got invited to. And man, just such a cool looking bike. Yeah, that was, um, so they basically created that bike up and shipped it overseas and then I flew, you know, commercially after it. And I went to um, Glemsec, which is like sort of just a bike culture event over there. It's a lot like Wheels and Waves, maybe a little bit smaller. Um, but it's centered around like an eighth mile drag race. But it's more just like a custom show. But all of the bikes that are being shown are all the eighth mile drag strip is like part of the deal, you know. Um but just salty European culture people, you know, it was great. It was just cool to be there. It was like the American. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so and it was cool too. Cause like, like Roland Sands was like another American that was there. And then like Christian Sosa. So I'm just like this fucking nobody dude from the Midwest, like basically rolling with those guys. So I was just like, man, this is one of those things. Yeah. I mean that that bike just to me like it it's like the last bike I would think of to make a tracker out of but damn it looked cool <laughs> yeah I mean it just that, it like, really that did. motor that motor on that thing you could probably roll up and just kind of tilt it over and just set it on the, the engine and you don't even need a side stand <laughs> yeah basically and for a flat track all you need I was actually debating putting like sliders on the head so you could just use it as a tripod but I'm like that can't be good on the base gaskets so I don't think I'm gonna do that but um. It wasn't good for really tight flat track racing for many reasons, but it was so cool as like a street tracker just because it was so bizarre looking and um, it was so torquey and it was just, it was just an insane bike. <laughs> like that thing was like riding like a rhino around, you know, just fucking, I was a passenger every time I rode that thing because the engine is just giant and the thing was all unruly. I took all, like all the ABS off and all the traction control off. And uh, I put up the rapid tune, like tuner in it. So it was just nuts, man. Does that thing pull like to one side over the other? Yeah. If you're sitting like at a stoplight and you just blip the throttle, if you're just sitting on it, it'll go, it'll like lean to one side on its own. It'll just pull itself yeah, to the right. That. I had a, I had a, a lender once I, you know, I took my bike to get a tire change and, and they're like, Hey, here, just take this bike and, and so I wrote, you know, I wrote it to work and I wrote it back after, but like the same thing happened. I first time I came, like took off from a light, it was kind of weird, you know, like I just felt this weird sort of twist. And especially when you're at a stoplight, like you said, like, Whoa. yeah, speaking of which, that R18 that they came out with is pretty damn cool. I can imagine it's the same way. Yeah. That's, that's the big, like, super cruiser. So I have to ask you this because this is something that I know I, 
I was, you know, big into when I was a kid too, was, you know, like you talked about, like, no matter what bike you had, you always had to kind of put your own little spin, your own little like sort of customization to it. And one of the things for me was like all my race bikes, like no one could touch the stickers. Like I was the only one that could do the stickers. I was like, so yeah, yeah. about every single sticker that went on my bike, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're the same way. You just acknowledged. <laughs> Dude, speaking of which, all those photos you put up of like Moto N in the eighties, I'm just like, that's fucking cool, man. Like, Dude, I don't know, like, like your bikes were sick, dude. Like that one, it was actually, I think I told you it was like my desktop for a while. It was at like a Loretta's, you're on like your like KX125, like 1987 oh, yeah. maybe. And yep. that photo is like ultra, ultra rad. And the bike was sick. Like I remember like the photo wasn't like super like crisp, so you couldn't see all the details. But I'm like, was that like a, like a team green, like, bike or something or what was the deal with that i think it was a tough bike probably my tough, oh, tough. that's what it was yeah because yeah. like we always had like that was the fun thing about riding for them is like and i i love this part of it too where it's like like they would have like a gray seat cover you know to go with and then like orange shroud covers and so they'd put all these mm-hmm. like colors together and then i would do the same on my gear and the stickers like i would just try and make these little like my answer gear that would hopefully have a little orange pop in it, you know, with maybe all white gear. And so I was, I was yeah. really into like those little oh, yeah. details like that, you know? Yep. And then the, of course the goggles, you know, like that was another one. Like I had to choose in which pair of goggles I was going to wear for each moto and what color in the strap. Like that was a huge endeavor. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the coined phrase that I'd heard quite a while ago now but it's just stuck with me ever since and i'm sure you could definitely attest to this but it's it's look good ride good yeah and the funny part is, is like i don't even know if you know like if i looked that good but i sure thought i did but in your head you do and that's like your like your spin right so exactly yeah, yeah. i mean it's just it's just like a swagger thing like when you when you feel like you look cool like it helps your attitude you know and it's, like it's, so it's your kind of like, yeah yeah and, and and it's like it was almost like a precursor to like now it's even bigger this total i think the the proper term is bespoke you know where everybody wants everything custom of their own and so i think we were trying to do that back then but just in weird kind of ways like i would cut stickers up and you know do all kinds of yeah things oh same dude i watched terra firma too and i was probably like 10 years old and i was like i gotta have chest protector decals like those guys so i literally made them out of paper and i mounted them on like some type of thin plastic and then i covered them with packaging tape dude to laminate them like that's how like insane it was to like make something custom and then zip tied it to my chest protector you know like you you maybe you know the chair from it too they showed like the dudes like chest protectors and they had like their custom font made by fox you know and it was all proper like vinyl or whatever the fuck heck they're mounting them on and uh yeah totally cutting things out trimming stickers I feel like we're at, we're sort of at that culmination where it was cool to see, you know, the Pete Fox launches his Renan brand. I think Renan. Yeah, it's Renan. And, um, but that's, I mean, the way he's doing it, I think it's pretty smart because it's, everything is custom where like you get your name and it's sublimated too. It's not just a pressed on logo. It's sublimated like a factory rider's Jersey. And so I feel like that's pretty sick that he's doing that where all the little, little, uh, details, He's just really, really focusing on, and so it's expensive. But of course, there's a market for everything like that. You know, you get some older people that don't care about price; they're just yeah, like, my own custom gear. Right. Case in point is um, 
do you remember? You, I don't know if you know this person or not, but Jerome Jerome Mage, I think is yeah. how you say his last name. He's like super big design. He designed for Spy like for forever. Oh yeah. He's got his own like sunglasses line now, and apparently like the sunglasses are anywhere from five hundred to like a thousand dollars, and he sold them all like ahead of time, and they're like each one is like handmade. So it's like yeah, people will buy that stuff, dude. And like if Pete Fox has a custom gear line, like. You know, I would borderline sign up for that, you know, at present just because it's because the desire is there, you know? Yeah, I feel like it's changed in the game because in a lot of ways, you know, having worked for, you know, a couple of companies that, you know, sold gear, you know, Tucker and WPS. So like when I was at Fly, I mean, you know, after a while, you know, the goal is obviously to sell as much gear as you can and be everywhere. But and then after a while, that comes back to kind of bite you in a way because people start going, man, there's so much fly out there. I don't want to be the same, like look like everybody else. So mm-hmm. then these companies like Renin, I feel like, and, and Canvas, like to me, like it's just going to keep growing that market, changing it a little bit where I feel like one of these major brands, uh, maybe Troy Lee or something like that, will probably end up going in that same direction as Renin where they're adding some of those custom services because I feel like they're going to have to, you know, because people want to have yeah. their own unique stuff now. Yeah, and even if it's only jerseys for like a company like Troy Lee, because that's a lot easier to pull off. Yeah. You know, they just pair it with like a pair of pants, you know, but they could also have like a configurator on their site. You know, all those things exist now. So they could just merge that into their plan. Yeah, I kind of wonder too if if this is like a hypothesis I have is like, you know, you, I'm sure you've had it, you know, you get hit up through LinkedIn from, you know, somebody over in Asia that's, hey, we make motorcycle gear or yeah. Pakistan or one of those places. And I'm thinking a lot of people are probably starting to take them up where like these little boutique gear brands are popping up. Like I call them Instagram brands, but I'm I'm sure they're, they're probably just going straight to the source, you know, like China's yeah. just going, well, why do we even need to bother going to these brands? We'll just sell to anybody. <laughs> well, or like Alibaba, you know, I've, I've bought gear off of Alibaba, you know, like yep. runs, you know, yeah. but the problem is, is the development part. That's the, that's the big hangup. So you almost want like a Troy Lee where they've like, they've got their SE and their GP gear just down to a science and all oh, they're yeah. doing is cool graphics on it. Whereas like the other way you're like, gee, I sure hope this $2,000 I'm sending overseas pans out into something, you know, like not wrong. Oh, yeah. uh, whereas with like Troy Lee, they're like, someone's whole job is to like make sure that the patterns are correct the materials are correct like the colors are correct and sampling process and all, all of it yeah yeah that's i mean i could definitely see that difference. being a case where yeah you're definitely rolling the dice like your gear show up and it says like size 32 and they're like 38 you know? so uh-huh. i mean that's the kind of weird stuff that i feel like could happen <laughs> yeah and they won't make you one set. Like you got to be like, yeah, I need like, like a sample run is like 15 sets or something like that. Which honestly, like I'm surprised they would even go that low. Like if they, if they did, yeah. but, but I bet you that's what's happening. You know, like we're, you know, like a, somebody like Troy Lee, they're probably doing, looking at minimums of you know, thousands of, to buy in to get some of the rates they do. Yeah. Do you still have the, the, um, your, uh, clothing company going, the Darius thing? No, I sold that probably in 2016 or so. There was a guy that was starting his own gear company, and I was like, I already got one of those. Want to buy it? So <laughs> nice. <laughs> jumped off that and just focused more on um, just designing for clients because it just uh, was a lot more of a fruitful use of my time. 
Well, I still have my my gun. I call it the Elmer Fudd hat. You know, like yeah, it's good, hat. dude. Not many of those around. Not many of those around. Probably much needed where you live in Minnesota, I would assume. Yep. Yep. I have one. I have one. I used to have a couple, you know, the inventory went down. I had a uh, a suitcase full of them in Portland when I went out to the One Moto Show, but uh, someone decided they needed them more than me. So those are, they're basically gone. So there's very, very few of those out there. Well, that's a, that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Well, what's next for you then, man? So just, uh, just then, or got something else? You going to uh, Millville this weekend then, tomorrow? Yes. I was going to mention that earlier on. Yeah, I'm totally, I'm going to rip down to down there tomorrow. It's about an hour ride. Um, there's a super scenic route that I take, and I'm going to all ride the motorcycle down the uh, Indian FTR 1200. So, um, yeah, that's another thing I was going to mention. I was going to ask you, like, working at Polaris, do you get a deal on uh, Indians now? So, you, I assume you have one that FTR 1200. Oh, wow. Yep. Oh, man, it's oh. cool. You know, it's super cool. It was yeah. funny too because I had kind of cast my vision like last year of like, you know what? Next year, all I'm going to have is like turnkey bikes, like no more projects. Like, I want to hop on something and go. And now I got yeah, right. yeah, the FTR. <laughs> you just hop on it. Of course, I couldn't leave it alone. I already like took all the stuff off of it. So it's it almost actually, as of this afternoon, it's once again a turnkey bike. But um, I switched out the handlebars on it. And with, with that comes all the controls, which you need the controls to start it. Um, but um, I got rid of like the horn and the turn signals and the gauges and all that stuff. Just trying to strip it all the way down to like a race bike, basically. So That's so funny, dude. Yeah, you're just like, I can't leave it stock, you know? No. Yeah, because you just got to like un-OEMify it a little bit, like un- un-bureaucratize it, you know? So well, that sounds fun. Yeah, Millville well, um, is definitely one of those places that oh, it's so cool dude i mean i feel like all the national tracks are just stepping their games up this year because you know like high point was insane the way the track was was built and of course you know even southwick you know like all the stuff they did there even even though despite the the rain that tore the track up but man yeah. never had any luck there but I, I i definitely love the track i think the last time i raced there was 94 maybe and i was in like sixth in my qualifier and and then my bike it's totally just grenaded my bike and i was done but <laughs> 94 might have been the first year i ever went to millville so had our paths crossed back then that would be very uh serendipitous yeah yeah i bet that's happened a lot with so many people that i know in the industry and we didn't really know each other and we crossed paths and such a small world yeah really is which is what makes motorcycles so awesome you know absolutely yeah well dan Thanks for sharing some of your story, man. I really appreciate you coming on, and it's fun to catch up with you. And uh, I'm stoked that you landed at an awesome place like Polaris, and you're doing some some fun, rad stuff. And um, where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to follow you? And uh, you know what you have going on with your some of your builds and your other personal stuff. Um, I am Gun Design on Instagram, and that's G U N N D S G N. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Just search my name. I think it's Daniel Riley on there. Um, the full stringer after the URL is Daniel Gunn Riley, G-U-N-N, Riley, R-I-L-E-Y. Um, those are the primary two. I'm on Facebook too, but I don't really pay attention to that, uh, cause it just auto populates from Instagram. So, 
Um, pretty much Instagram and LinkedIn are like my my two heavy hitter platforms at the moment. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I pretty much just, I mean, I'll go on, I don't even know why I'm wasting my time on Facebook anymore, but like you, you I feel like I post something on there and like a, on my Dirt Buzz page and just, it gets nothing, you know, like it's just such a swamp. I feel like anymore, yeah, so. there. I, I really feel like Brett Q's career was like the last viral career on Facebook. Like that was and that was like eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, and then it jumped over to Instagram, and then Instagram is kind of kind of dicey now too. Now it's just more. Um, and I'm commenting on something that I probably know nothing about, but uh, you know, like tick TikTok and all that. Yeah, stuff. it's going to TikTok. It's going to like what is a treehouse or clubhouse or something. I don't even know anymore. It's just like people have kind of like you know chosen their platforms, and I think that uh, you know, well, actually, uh, Spotify is good. And I was really pumped to find you on there because that's like my number one consumption platform for podcasts, and yeah. um, that's actually a a great segue into that whole point, which is like the visual social media platforms are sort of hit or miss, but like the audio social media platforms are like just gangbusters. So yeah, it's definitely like, I think even to back to Facebook, I know their role, they're in the process of rolling out podcasts as well. And everybody's getting in the game, you know, like even my, this little piddly podcast I just got started with, I've had, I've actually been approached by a couple of different like podcasting groups. You know, they're trying to build up their portfolios and I'm like, well, I'm I'm just getting started. I really don't have much of a following yet. And so, but they don't care. They're just, they're just trying to ramp up, you know, because that's what everybody's doing and there's huge value in it at the moment. And I'm sure five years from now it'll be different. Something else. (laughs) For Yeah. Right. Just roll with it. You know, it's, it's basically at the end of the day, it's entertainment, consumption, relationships, uh, and then trying to push push boundaries, you know, those are sort of like the pillars, in my opinion, of uh, all that stuff. Yep. Well, Dan, thanks again. Really appreciate you coming on. Enjoy that ride out to uh, Millville tomorrow, and yeah, it should be awesome. Uh, you know, I've been watching a few of these raw videos that I think Racer X might have been putting out, and that's what got me pumped up. But you don't really get that you know, the gist of it on TV yet, but man, when you hear those raw videos, like the crowds have just been insane from what I'm seeing. Yeah. So enjoy yeah, that. Man, just, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm going to be up on the fence, full fanboy, dude. Just, it's going to be just total immersion into motocross tomorrow for sure. Yeah. I think after being cooped up for so long, people's inhibitions are just like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to go yell, scream, do whatever I want. Yeah. The the YOLO (laughs) mentality across the board, even in my own personal life, is just like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? So I don't know if this is a family show, so I don't know if this has to get all bleeped out, but (laughs) no, it's fine. I I just Uh, have to check the box that says, uh, you know, explicit in it. That's all. Right. Dan drops F-bombs every 10 seconds. What's weird is, is like, I'm a person that I swear a lot, but for some reason when I'm in like doing stuff like this, I don't. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. It is strange. (laughs) Anyway, well, thanks again, Dan. Um, That's about it for this episode, everyone. Uh, Remember to be kind to each other. Listen to good music. Enjoy life on two wheels. Keep the buzz rolling.
Hey there, two-wheel enthusiasts. It's Dale Spangler, host of The Dirt Buzz. Before we start this episode, I wanted to ask if you would consider becoming a patron of The Dirt Buzz. For as little as $3 per month, you'll help keep the buzz rolling by helping me cover costs associated with producing and hosting this show, such as recording software and equipment, hosting fees, and other administrative costs. The buzz is just getting started, and with your support, I'll continue to bring you weekly episodes featuring the many fascinating people in the world of power sports and the sport of motorcycling as a whole. Head over to patreon.com forward slash dirtbuzz right now, or look for the support the show link at the bottom of each podcast episode description. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting the Dirt Buzz. Enjoy this episode. 